Uh, hey, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs 16. Uh, we're going to be reading the first nine verses in Proverbs 16. And while you're turning there, uh, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Jay Freimeyer. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, and if you haven't been here with us the past several weeks, maybe the past five or six weeks, we've been doing a study on the book of Proverbs. This will be the last in that series on Proverbs. Next week, come on back. We're gonna kick off a vision series. Jeremy's gonna get us started in a five-week vision series um, when we go back to two services. So the words will be on the screens here for you, as you see. Let's go ahead and read the first nine verses of Proverbs 16. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us in your word and you have brought clarity to our lives. You've given us wisdom specifically with the book of Proverbs. So as we sit under your word this morning, Holy Spirit, would you bring the text to life for us? Would you make us to look more like Jesus as a result of our time here this morning? And it's in his name we pray, amen. Hey, I want you to think with me for a moment on the things that you plan for. What are some of the things that you plan for? Um, you may be planning to go to Andrew's Park with us after the service today and have lunch with us. You may be planning to take a Sunday afternoon nap. That's on my agenda. Yeah, I see some nods. Um, several of you are planning for your first day of school, either this week or next week. You've got to do things in order to be prepared for your first day. Others of you are thinking farther down the road. You're planning to earn a certain degree. Hopefully you accomplished that plan. You're planning for that so you can get a certain job. Others of you are planning to be married someday and have a family. Perhaps you've already begun your career and you have aspirations to move up into a higher or a different role. So you're taking steps now based on the plans you've made. Some of you hope to retire someday. You're making plans for that. That doesn't mean that you just want to be lazy. Maybe that means you want to be freed up from both time and money restrictions so that you can serve the Lord better. Parents, you are making plans of some sort. Some weeks it feels like all you're doing is planning around your kid's schedule, right? Um, perhaps you're planning uh, the way that they would be raised up and know the Lord. Or maybe you're planning, like I said, their, their schedules. Um, maybe you're saving up money so they can attend college someday. You want to pay for that. Or maybe you're planning to have more children. With all of this in mind, I think it's fair for us to stop and ask a question as we make these plans. And I want to ask, does it matter? Do our plans matter? If not, why not? And if so, why? And then from there, how do you come to make decisions? How do you decide the things you're going to do? I think it's so easy for us in our culture 
that is so busy just to fill our calendar, to fill our lives, join the rat race, and forget to pause and ask questions like, what are we doing? And why are we doing it? So again, if you haven't been with us the last several weeks, we've been in Proverbs. And if we were to step back and look at the overall purpose of the book of Proverbs, I think the ESV Study Bible provides a helpful explanation for what Proverbs is trying to do. And it says this, uh, the goal of Proverbs is to describe and instill wisdom in God's people, a wisdom that is founded in the fear of the Lord and that works out covenant life in the practical details of everyday situations and relationships. So the idea we will be considering this morning, if you haven't caught on yet, is the idea of planning. How does our planning fit within the, that understanding in the book of Proverbs, specifically in chapter 16 and then in the rest of the Bible? So let's dive in and look at a few key themes that emerge from these first nine verses of Proverbs 16. First, we see that God is sovereign over all. Verse one, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse four, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked. Verse nine, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We see this at other places in scripture. I think we have the words on the screen. Job 42, two, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Isaiah 45.9, woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles? We see similar language to this in Romans 9. God is sovereign over all. He has the power, the ability, the right, the authority to do as he pleases. He is God. So our plans don't matter, right? What is something else we see here in, in uh, Proverbs 16? You are responsible for how you live your life. Yes, God is sovereign, but you are responsible. Verse two, we see there's accountability. The Lord weighs the spirit, verse five, everyone arrogant in heart will not go unpunished. Verse six, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Iniquity is atoned for. The right response to that is to turn away from evil. Verse eight, better is a little righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The implication here is that you and I have a choice to pursue righteousness. Elsewhere in scripture, we see in the Garden of Eden, God commanded Adam to not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, Genesis 2, 17. The sovereignty of God did not prevent Adam and Eve from eating the fruit. They got to do what they wanted. Romans six twenty three. again, we're getting to the accountability piece. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 14, 10, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. 1 Corinthians three fourteen. we looked at this several months back. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, 
though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Again, we are going to give an account someday for the way in which we lived our lives. Now, I think if we were honest, we would admit that we struggle with that tension, that God is sovereign over all things and that humans are responsible for their actions. But let's be clear this morning. The Bible is not uncomfortable with that tension. It presents both ideas as true. God's sovereign, you're responsible. For other places in scripture that you see very clearly both things. Take Pharaoh when the people of Egypt were held captive. Did Pharaoh harden his heart or did God? Was it God's plan to sell Joseph into slavery or his brothers? Genesis 50, 20. As for you, Joseph says to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Was it God's plan for Jesus to go to the cross or did the crowds and religious leaders kill him? When Peter preached at Pentecost, was it his sermon that led to salvation for 3,000 or was it the work of the Holy Spirit? The answer to these instances is yes, but that doesn't keep us from feeling a little discomfort, right? In some of these instances, we wanna hold back and not credit ourselves too much for what we are responsible for. In other instances, we, we may not wanna credit God for too much for being sovereign over these things, but they're, these are true. God is sovereign over all, yet you are responsible. For further reading, reading I would encourage you to pick up um, J.I. Packer's Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Uh, the whole book is great, it's pretty small, but specifically I would encourage you to check out chapter two. I'm gonna read a little excerpt from that this morning. Uh, he mentions William Carey, who was a missionary to India. And as William Carey was preparing to leave on his missionary endeavor, he presented his plan to some fellow ministers. Uh, and it was not well received, in particular by one older gentleman. So J.I. Packer recounts this story and then he provides some observations for us. So this is, this is the encounter here. The older gentleman says, sit down, young man, said the old warrior. When God is pleased to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. The idea of taking the initiative and going out to find men of all nations for Christ struck him as improper and indeed presumptuous. Now think twice, he says, before you condemn that old man. He was not entirely without understanding. He had at least grasped that it is God who saves and that he saves according to his own purpose, and he does not take orders from man in the matter. He had grasped too that we must never suppose that without our help, God would be helpless. He had, in other words, learned to take the sovereignty of God perfectly seriously. His mistake was that he was not taking the church's evangelistic responsibility with equal seriousness. He was forgetting that God's way of saving men is to send out his servants to tell them the gospel and that the church has been charged to go into all the world for that very purpose. But this is something that we must not forget, Packer continues. Christ's command means that we all should be devoting all of our resources of ingenuity and enterprise to the task of making the gospel known in every way possible to every possible sermon. Unconcern and inaction in regard to evangelism are always, therefore, inexcusable. And the doctrine of divine sovereignty would be grossly misapplied if we should invoke it in such a way as to lessen the urgency and immediacy and priority and binding constraint of the evangelistic imperative. No revealed truth 
may be invoked to extenuate sin. God did not teach us the reality of his rule in order to give us an excuse for neglecting his orders. Now, we step back just for a moment. The purpose of our time here this morning is not necessarily evangelism, but in my opinion, there's no greater illustration of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Yes, absolutely, it is God who saves sinners and reconciles people to himself. It is also true that we are the means by which lost people get to hear the good news of Jesus. Both are true. I think another good example is every single week, Sunday after Sunday, sermon after sermon, our time together here. So much thought and time and prayer went into these very words that I'm speaking over you right now. There's a lot of work that went into into this. But like Paul would say, this is planting and watering, but God gives the growth. So if I just stand up here, spew a bunch of words, and the Holy Spirit is not working in your hearts at the same time, there will be no growth. But also, if Jeremy or I or whoever, Kenton last week, just walk up here with no preparation, no idea what I'm going, like for me in particular, that is going to go so badly. I was telling some friends last night, I don't even like to talk. I really don't. Like if, if, I, if I had my choice, I would sit back, I would observe a room, work in small groups of people, think strategically and plan that way. I, and public speaking is fine for me. You know, it's whatever. I'm not drawn to it. I'm not afraid of it, but I'm not drawn to it. I think a very small percentage of people, that's true. Like if I said, hey, I want you to finish the message this morning, maybe one of you in here could do that. For everyone else, there's work. It takes effort. God's sovereign. We're responsible. Both are true. We also see in Proverbs 16 that planning has great value. There's wisdom in planning ahead. Verse three, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. This idea here is to literally roll onto or put your weight on the Lord. Are your plans, is your work, are your activities rested onto, rolled onto the Lord? Do you trust him? When you do this, your plans will be established. Verse seven, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Other places in Proverbs that are more clear, Proverbs 21, verse five, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 24, 27, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. Don't try to build your house before you even know what money and resources you have. I think furthermore, we see all throughout the scriptures that God is a planner. Did God mean for Jesus to die? Was this a part of his plan? I think, again, this can make some of us feel uncomfortable. But Isaiah 53.10 is so clear. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This is how Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15.3, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Just like Isaiah 53, 10, in accordance with the scriptures, Christ died. Jesus was not surprised by that. He was in on the plan in John 2. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days, I will raise it up. But the Jews says, it took us 46 years to build this temple and you'll build it back in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this and they believed the scriptures. 
God has plans for us too, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. They were planned beforehand that we should walk in them, Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We could look at much more, um, how he called Abraham to be the father of faith, to Joseph, like I mentioned, being sold into slavery, uh, but rising to power under Pharaoh. Uh, You get the drift. These things did not happen by accident, and they are all specifically a part of God's plan. Our God is a planning God. Now, why is that good news for us? Because God is not caught off guard by our sin. God was not surprised He's not surprised when you sin. He wasn't surprised when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. He wasn't surprised when Cain killed Abel. He wasn't surprised when Moses struck the Egyptian. He wasn't surprised when David took another man's wife and had her husband killed. He wasn't surprised when Israel turned from him over and over and over. He wasn't surprised when the disciples argued over who was the greatest right in front of Jesus. He wasn't surprised when you yelled at your kids on the way to church this morning. He wasn't surprised when you cowered in fear over what others think of you. God's plan in his infinite wisdom and kindness to us was always to make a way for us to be reconciled to him. The answer to all of these things is Jesus. The course of human history was forever changed. When God came in the flesh, Jesus lived the perfect life and died on our behalf. He died the death that we deserve and he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. This was always the plan. This was always the plan. There was no plan B. Jesus was not, it, it wasn't like, oh man, look, did you see what Adam just did? No, I gotta, I gotta do something about that. It wasn't like, this isn't God's Hail Mary attempt at the end of the game. Like you've screwed up your life. And it's like, oh, I, we, gotta, we gotta do something about, this was always the plan to die on our behalf, to make a way where there was no way. And ultimately so that he would be glorified. And so when we encounter Jesus, when we meet Jesus, all of our plans change. Our heart changes, our desires change, potentially our careers change, our work may change. Our plans change when we meet Jesus. Let's talk about how, how do they change? My desire to worship God now becomes priority one in my life. I no longer need to achieve a certain status to make a name for myself because my aim is to make Jesus known. I don't need a large bank account because I now know that all I have is his. I just steward such a small percentage of what God already owns. My kids don't have to be impressive to make me look good because they're also his. So the way I parent, the way I love, the way I discipline, the way I disciple them is to point them to Jesus. So as I look ahead to tomorrow or next week or 20 years from now, when I say, where am I going? The answer looks so much different now than it did before I met Jesus. So I wanna move forward. I wanna ask some very practical things to help us plan ahead and make decisions. This could go a number of ways. I don't know where you are in this room, but I wanna try to be helpful, Uh, but I'll be a little broad. First, I'm gonna ask, why is it hard? Why why can planning and decision-making 
be hard for us? And then we'll ask, what should inform the way I think about planning ahead and making decisions? So first, why is it hard? I wanna start with the obvious. Some decisions we have to make just feel so massive and life-altering, right? Like, who am I gonna marry? How many kids am I gonna have some, someday? What career path should I choose? Where should I live? How much money should I save? What car should I buy? Like, and, and a slew of others. Like, this is just scratching the surface, right? So many things to, to decide. And which of these questions is, quote, like God's plan for me? Like, that's wrapped up in there too. Like, is there one specific plan that I need to walk into and will I get it wrong? The weight of these decisions can just paralyze us, can cause us to struggle. So we're afraid to get it wrong. Like, if I do blank, I'm gonna wreck my life. Or there are too many choices. How many choices are there? Just think about your average fast food line. Like, that can paralyze you. Drive up to Starbucks. I don't, I don't, we were in Starbucks like a week or two ago. We, we get up there, spend five minutes. I don't know. What do you, I don't, too many choices. There's so many choices. Maybe we're waiting for God to tell us what to do. Wouldn't it be so great if we had a burning bush that wasn't being consumed with God's audible voice speaking to us? God, should I do this or that? That'd be great. We're afraid of what others might think. We're driven by fear of if I make this decision or that decision, what is that person gonna think about me? Or, or passivity. I mean, this is so true. Like we think that sometimes if we step back and don't do anything, like the decision will just go away, right? Like there's this hard to sit. Like if I just kind of walk away, like the Homer Simpson gif, like into the bushes. Like if I just walk away, does the decision go away? These things can be hard. So I'd like to set us free this morning with this statement, and I'm, this is gonna be maybe an over, oversimplification. I'm just gonna say it, and then we're gonna work backwards from it, but I believe that it's true. So I want you to hear this very clearly. You are not gonna screw this up, okay? Oversimplification, let's walk back from that. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, the decisions that, that you make can be tainted by your sin and your flesh. But hear me out, if you're earnestly walking with the Lord, you're seeking counsel from the Lord and from others, and you're making decisions out of that, you're not gonna screw it up. I think our Christian culture has spoken of God's will in the past. It says, there's, there's one will for your life. There's one path. Now go figure it out. It's almost like there's this treasure at the end of your life, and you've got this map in front of you, but it's blank. And there's only one path on the map, and you've gotta figure it out. Like, I think that's the way our subculture has taught us to think. We read verses like Deuteronomy 29, 29, right? The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And we focus on those secret things and we just gotta know them. Like I gotta know what are the secret things. Let me ask, like, do you think that your life would actually be better if you knew the whole treasure map? Like if you knew the path, like you knew everything good and bad, like you knew every detail about your life, like would that resolve your fear and anxiety? Cliff Notes version of the answer is no. It's not. It's not going to solve our problems. So what are some principles we can live by? How do we make decisions? First, come, again, coming out of God is sovereign, you're responsible, planning has great value. Therefore, how do we do this? First, trust God. If he is sovereign over all things, over the universe, 
over the earth and the oceans and the mountains. He's sovereign over you, okay? He's good, he loves you, and he's in control of your life. Trust God. I think next, I would encourage you to step back. This can't always happen, so maybe this is just a handful of times a year. If you could build this into a monthly rhythm, I think it's wise, but step back and reorient your life around the things that matter most to God. Ask yourself, do the things that matter most to me, is that what matters most to God? And if your answers are different, then you need to make some changes. What matters most to God? In the revealed things of scripture, what he's given to us clearly, is that what matters most to me? Take inventory of your life. Maybe ask things like, are you tired? Are you, are you busy? Is the, the schedule of your life, like is it the tail, the, the wagging tail wagging the dog? Are these things honoring to the Lord? Is something other than Jesus serving as your functional savior? Have you become obsessed with making more money? Maybe ask, um, this may feel a little morbid, but do I actually like my life? Do I enjoy where I'm headed? Let's talk about those things. Step back, reorient your life around the things that matter to God. And then I think from there, you can look ahead. You can be a little more specific. So where do you wanna be 20, 30, 40 years down the road? Where do you wanna go? Like, who do you wanna be as a follower of Jesus at the end of your life? I can't remember where it was said, but somebody mentioned like, what do you want said at your funeral? Maybe start there. Again, sounds a little morbid, but like, what do you want people to say about you? Would they say that now? Probably not. So how do you work towards that? I think um, exercise is such an easy illustration here, right? Like, so if I went to bed tonight and said, I could really lose like 15 or 20 pounds. Like that would be great if I did that. I'm not gonna wake up tomorrow morning having lost 15 or 20 pounds, right? Right? Is that, okay, right, yeah, yeah. Why do we expect that with, with our spiritual formation or, or our kids or our marriages? Like we can't just speak something into action. If we desire those things and they matter so much, then we need to plan towards those ends. What do you want your family to look like? What do you wanna look like as a follower of Jesus? Do the hard work. I was recently listening to a podcast um, by Dave Barnes, Dadville. Have you heard of the podcast? Dadville. No, okay. Nobody. Wow, okay. I'll never sing again. Um, They had John Tyson on. He's a pastor out of New York City. And he's recently written a book on fathering uh, and parenting. And he's promoting his book, so he's going around talking about it. And I think it was towards the end of that podcast, they said, if you could give your listeners one piece of advice, like sum all this up, like what, what would be that one piece of advice? And the thing he said pretty quickly was this, don't wing this. Don't wing it. If parenting is so important. If you want your children to know the Lord, don't wing it. And I know I've talked a lot about parenting this morning, but that's for your life too. Don't wing your life. College students, you, you see your whole life ahead, right? Like you, you're probably in this phase where winging it is easy. Don't wing your life. 
if you hope to see others in your life experience freedom and joy in Jesus, how will you invade their spaces? We're gonna talk a lot about third places coming up. Third places are natural, neutral, and regular spaces for you. Places like uh, the park, or some of y'all play disc golf, or the gym, or whatever. What is a natural thing for you? What is a neutral space where non-believers are gonna, they're gonna be there all the time? What is regular? What are you already doing? Go to those spaces and speak life into the people you meet there. Speak the gospel into them. If you hope your kids would know and experience the love of Jesus, make plans to tell them, make plans to disciple them. If you have career aspirations that that honor the Lord, I, I don't think aspirations are a bad thing. Plan for that. Do you hope to understand the gospel of Jesus and its outworkings in your life in more real ways? Plan for that. Now, maybe you're faced with a decision right now I wanna give you something too. I wanna be very, very helpful. So this is even more cliff notes of what we've been talking about. And some of this is gonna be adapted from Kevin DeYoung's book, Just Do Something. The subtitle of that book is called A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will or How to Make a Decision Without Dreams, Visions, Fleeces, Impressions, Open Doors, Random Bible Verses, Casting Laws, Liver Shivers, Riding in the Sky, etc. So that kind of gives you an idea of where we're going. So again, some of this is DeYoung, some of this is me. When you're faced with a decision, ask yourself, let's just say you've got two options in front of you. Is what I'm considering sinful? Is it clearly sinful? If yes, don't do that. That's clear, right? You hope that's clear. Maybe it's not clear. Don't do that thing. If it's not sinful, okay, let's move forward. Will either option in front of me lead me to experience freedom and joy in Jesus. If the answer is no, or it's a little murky, I would say, let's pause. If you can see a path for both, move forward. Next, pray. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and provide clarity. He will do that. Then I would encourage you to seek counsel. We've talked about this some. Proverbs 15, 22 says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. If everyone in your life is saying one thing and you're saying another thing, you're wrong. Now, that's, that's not like all the time, but probably you're wrong, especially if the people in your life who are, I'm sorry, am I doing something? Is it me? We're good. We're good. If everyone in your life over here, if, if, if they love you and they're wise and generally you spend time with them, they know you maybe better than you know yourself and you're like, nah, yeah, y'all are wrong. You need to step back and reconsider. Listen to wise counsel. Verse two from Proverbs 16 says, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. In our sin, we can justify a lot of things. We can convince ourselves to do a lot of really dumb things things. Listen to godly counsel. So here's the last step. This is super magical. It's great. It's a huge last step. Again, is this sinful? No. Okay. Move forward. Can either option lead me to freedom and joy in Jesus? Okay. Pray and ask the spirit to give you wisdom and clarity. Seek counsel. Finally, do something. Did you hear that? Make a decision. At the risk of oversimplification, again, God has shaped you with desires. He's created you to love 
certain things. He's given you brains. If you study the human brain, it's so incredible. You have one of those. You have a brain to make decisions. You've been wired to love things. The things you love are different than the things that I love. You're gonna make different decisions than me. That's okay. That is okay. Do not make major life decisions or minor life decisions without prayer and wise counsel, but also don't expect an audible voice from heaven speaking over you like a magic eight ball. Do you remember them? Those little eight balls? You like spit out a question, you shake it up and it gives you an answer and you don't like the answer, you shake it again. Like try to get the answer you want. When you ask for wisdom, God is going to give you wisdom. Now let's acknowledge like that, that process, it's gonna be slower than you want. It's gonna be like you, we want immediate answers. God, I'm struggling, answer it now. That's what we want, isn't it? It's gonna go slower, but God will give you wisdom. And that's enough. Um, so I mentioned DeYoung's book uh, as a good resource. The other helpful resources, I think if, you know, we talked about spiritual formation. If you're considering how you can be formed more into the image of Jesus, I really love Donald Whitney's um, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. I think it's super helpful. If you're thinking more on like just biblical productivity side, CJ Mahaney has a really little book that you might find helpful. Um, if you're just thinking like nerdy task to do things, um, Tim Challies has a book called Do More Better. And uh, specifically in there, he'll talk about even apps. Like you can tell I'm geeking out about this, like apps to help you do the things that you value most. And again, I don't know like what's your, like what you would want to come out of a message like this with, but I'm happy to continue the conversation after talking about planning huge major life things or like maybe you're like a vision guy, but you don't know how to get to where you want to go. I, I'd, be, I'd love to help you with those things. Um, you know, apps, some of these apps that I'm talking about have been super, super helpful for me. I, I, would, I would say that I'm probably one of the more forgetful people in the room this morning. I would probably say the most, at least bottom five. Brooke would probably say I'm the most forgetful person. But I'll tell you this, I have a high value for doing the things that I say I'm gonna do. So if you caught me after the service and you're like, hey, hey, Pastor Jay, I wanna go grab coffee this week. I wanna talk to you about some of the things that you were sharing. If I give you a yes, that matters to me. I wanna honor what I've said. And so I have a system in place for myself to remember that. So that is just a small picture of, of all of this. What do you value? What matters to you? Put things in your life to accomplish those things. Now, as we wrap up here, I, I want us to consider one more thing, and that is this. What happens when our plans blow up? Let's be honest. We have plans. We have aspirations. We have good plans, and they sometimes fail, right? And sometimes things happen in our life also that it seems like God wouldn't want that for us either, too. Right? Like, why would God want this or that to happen to me? I want to work backwards from the way we've worked this morning. So it's wise to plan ahead. Yes. You are responsible for the way you live. Yes. But God is still sovereign. Your plans are going to change. And that's okay. Because he is sovereign. He's good. And he cares for you. So as you plan these things that you hope to accomplish, these good things in your life, would you do so with open hands, not closed fists? Like, it's got to go this way. Like, my plans have to happen. And if not, 
it's going to be bad news for those around me. Like, do so open-handedly, knowing that it's the Lord who establishes your steps. The Spirit of God is with you all along the way. Let's pray. Father, again, I, I thank you for your word. and I'm just so thankful that when it comes down to, to planning ahead and making decisions and considering specifically major things in life, you haven't left us alone. You're with us. And something as simple as like, God, would you give me wisdom and clarity to make this decision or that decision or plan it? You give it. Your word says that you give it to us. So I pray for those in this room who may be facing a decision now or, or maybe, maybe they need to step back and plan ahead that, that they would be able to create some space in their life, potentially today or this week sometime or maybe next weekend, to do these very things, to step back and ask questions like, God, is my life, the decisions I make, the plans I have, the things that are important to me, is that what's most important to you? Would you speak to us? Would you show us where we're off? Would you help us to focus? Would you adjust our lives so we would honor and glorify you in all things? God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.